It is the 200 level, episode 243, the five-year anniversary spectacular. Well, not really. I'm, I'm not going to play the greatest hits or anything today, but I found this on my Facebook memories. That back on January 9th, 2017, it was the first ever 200 level on 93.5, and that was me and Steve Breitweiser. For uh, those who may not be aware, the 200 level basically started as an offshoot of College Game Day Live, which we started back in 2013. So that was Tim Beckman's second year. And this was between Breitweiser and myself, an attempt to start a new Saturday morning show and offer an alternative to what you would get on 1400. And we were definitely a very different show than what you would get on WDWS. And our usual Saturday mornings consisted of Packing up the equipment for remote broadcast, we would take the station van over to the corner of, let's see, I think there was St. Mary's and First Street, is that right? Yeah, and it was on that corner outside of Houlihan's that we would broadcast for the first couple of years, and this thing, you know, was a lot of fun. I mean, Brightweiser, for those who ever listened to him back in the day, is one of the funniest guys that you could ever listen to, and, and then working with him, I really grew to appreciate his sense of humor, and it informed kind of what we did on that show. So what happened was over time, Illinois football kept sucking. And it was really just a question of how much energy do we want to put into pregame shows when usually by mid-October, the games were meaningless. And then we came up with this idea to do a Monday evening show just once a week, one hour after J, And that started on January 9th, 2017, the 200 level on ESPN 93.5. That continued for a couple years, eventually teaching became my full-time gig, and it was just really hard to balance teaching. And then I was on Tay and Carp every day, and then we just kind of agreed to let it sit for a bit until things settled. Well, then I ended up getting, let's see, well, fired <laughs> from 93.5. So then that was sort of the end of that. But uh, that brought this over to the podcast realm. And Steve was on the first ever podcast version of the 200 level. And since then, it's kind of evolved into what it is now. I didn't know what it was going to be at first when we went to the podcast thing. If anything, I just wanted to stay fresh for that next terrestrial radio opportunity. But it just so happened to coincide with a lot of sports talk moving to podcasting in general. And here we are. You know, we're a couple years into this being a full time podcast. And I love every, every bit of it. You know, I'm down in the basement studio. I get to record this whenever I want to. It's a Sunday afternoon right now. And just said, what the hell? Let's do a podcast. And over the last two and a half years, this has really developed an audience. And it's been cool to kind of go back and forth between these solo podcasts where I can just sort of rant and rave about Illini Revenue Sports and then the live reaction podcast. I can't recall exactly the first time we did a live reaction podcast. I think that it would have been during uh, Underwood's third season and that Big Ten run where we won, let's see here, I think it was actually at Purdue, if I recall. It was me, Isaac Ambrose, and Trevor Valise. At Purdue might have been the first time that we did that. And then it just became a thing. And, you know, you guys really enjoyed that component. And I think now we've kind of found our niche, which is a mix of those solo podcasts and the live reaction podcast after games. So just thought that was a cool note when I saw that on Facebook this morning. I remember distinctly how excited I was to get the 200 level off the ground at 93.5. You know, being able to consolidate what Brightweiser and I did for two and a half hours on that Saturday morning show into a weekly hour-long show just, I think, improved the quality of it. And uh, we had a lot of fun. And I'm sure that we will talk with Steve again in the near future as this basketball season continues and, and Illinois continues to 
position themselves in, in national conversation. But uh, I really wanted to thank all of you guys for listening in the first place because there are, as you know, many, many Illini sports media outlets. So it's not as if uh, you guys have any shortage of things to listen to. The fact that you make this part of your podcast rotation means a lot. And uh, as I sit here in this basement studio and I've now kind of perfected this room to exactly how I want it, it's a place that I enjoy hanging out. It's a far cry from the old dungeon of a basement studio we had at the start of the 200 level. Um, It's something that I just look forward to every week. So I I hope you do as well. And as this season continues, I think that we're going to have a lot of fun uh, left. I would be remiss if I didn't thank a few people. Of course, Bright Weiser is a huge reason why there is such thing as a 200 level. In fact, I think he came up with the name in the first place and really kind of, as I mentioned before, informed our sense of humor and the kind of show that we wanted to do. So he is the co-host emeritus of the 200 level and always will be. Trevor Valise, who I remember distinctly when he started working at 93.5 and thinking, man, this is a kid, because he was a kid then. I mean, you know, 19 maybe. Thinking this is a kid wise beyond his years and someone I've been working now with for, I think, basically a good part of five years as well. Um, Trevor's been here from day one of the 200 level. And then we also have Harry Black, who is doing great out in Connecticut and, and working at ESPN and you know, one of the funniest people I've ever known for sure. And someone that we miss around here because he was just fun to hang out with. I mean, that's the thing about Harry Black is that I always just enjoyed being in the same room as him and always could guarantee that he would make me laugh and come up with some sort of nugget that only Harry Black could. And then Isaac Ambrose, who, when he started interning at 93.5, you know, you just get a, a vibe from people and you kind of put it up in this, you know, part of your mind that, hey, if I ever need to work with somebody, maybe that would be the person. And when Harry left, Trevor and I were talking about, well, who could we bring in for the third mic for some of these longer podcasts. And he was the first one we tried and it just stuck. It was a natural fit from the start and great kid. Um, I say kid, you know, him and Trevor, both young men, but uh, you know, when I hang out with him, I don't feel like I'm hanging out with younger people. These are guys that might have different experiences as Illinois fans than I do. But in terms of broadcasters, these guys are like seasoned veterans. So it's, been a, a lot of good fortune for me to work with all these people I have through the years, whether it be Lon and Jeremy back at 93.5. And then on the 200 level side of things, Steve, Trevor, Harry, Isaac, that's a good, talented bunch of people right there. So we have not done it alone by any stretch. And those guys are just invaluable for what they bring. So thank you is my big takeaway as we enter the fifth full year of the 200 level. Before we get too far into this, and there is quite a bit to talk about today, got to remind you the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO online at dpdo.com for all the best prices, dpdo.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So whether it's an icy night like we had on Saturday or just another one of those cold winter nights where you don't want to venture out, Let them bring a piping hot calzone to your doorstep. Maybe that's Tuesday as you're watching Illinois, Nebraska, 730 tip off. We'll be here for a second half podcast and you can be watching us on Twitch while enjoying a DP Doe calzone. That's online at dpdoe.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4thandkirby.com. They got a new hoodie. This is a white hoodie with a logo that they got from the 83-84 Big Ten Men's Basketball Champions. So uh, if you haven't seen it already, go to 4thandkirby.com. That, along with plenty of vintage-inspired Alani apparel, just in time for the rest of this basketball season. That's 4thandkirby.com. Rector Construction, online at rectorconstruction.com for all your home exterior needs. 
It is a 12-month-a-year kind of gig. I know it's cold outside now. The ground may be frozen, but that doesn't mean that you cannot get a free estimate on any home exterior project. So go online to rectorconstruction.com. That's R-E-C-T-O-R construction.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy at brianismyguy.com. This is great State Farm prices along with personalized service that made it super easy for me and Kara when we moved to our new place. So the homeowner and auto bundle we got, like I said, State Farm prices, but great service to boot. That's Brian Hansen, State Farm agent at brianismyguy.com. Alani Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. And of course, thank you listeners. And you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And now you can rate and review us at Spotify. Five stars, one star, don't really care, but any rating and review helps us as we uh, hope to get discovered by other Illini fans when they go out there to look for the next podcast to listen to. All right, wanted to start by going back to the game on Thursday night. Illinois beats Maryland 76-64, to 64, and I was doing that second-half podcast, Illinois trailing by four at the start. I think it was down to a one-point game at the first media timeout, and then Illinois really just kind of dominated the rest of the way. They ended up outscoring, and this is what I like about Ken Palm, is they'll actually break it down into quarters, kind of like Lovey Smith. They break down this 40-minute game into four different quarters, and in that first half, Illinois outscored Maryland 21-9 to in the first 10 minutes. Then they got outscored 25-9 to in the next 10 minutes, trailing 34-30 to at halftime. Now, I know we were all nervous because Maryland, for whatever reason, they have been the bugaboo for Illinois since Brad Underwood's gotten here. I think he's beaten them once before at Madison Square Garden, and then a lot of heartbreaking losses in between. If you recall, I think it was the first year where you had them beat DeMonte through an inbound pass that went out of bounds, basically a baseball pass that went too far. Maryland gets the ball back, either forces a second overtime or they win right there. It was a mess, and I remember just being gobsmacked at the end of that. So when we're losing 34-30 to at halftime, we're all thinking, oh, crap. Then the second half happens. Illinois, in the first 10 minutes of the second half, outscores Maryland 24-16. to In the last 10 minutes, they outscore them 22-14. to They outscore them by eight points in each of those 10-minute increments, and that shows consistency. What I was most impressed by with Illinois was the intensity, because you could tell they were kind of playing with their hair on fire, and that is a far cry from what we saw last year when Maryland came into the State Farm Center and you sleepily lost on a Sunday night. And at that point, I remember thinking, I, there were some low points last year. That Loyola, of course, being the lowest. But in the regular season, that might have been the low point for me. Thinking, I don't know what this team is and if they're going to come anywhere close to the lofty expectations we had for them. Fortunately, they went on a run. But at that moment in mid-January last year, it was that Maryland game where it just felt like the wheels were kind of coming off. Something was broken. Well, this Illinois team responds in a rather emphatic way, and I, it goes without saying Maryland's not a great team, right? And Ken Palm, they're 59 out of like 350 teams. They're probably going to finish 10th or 11th in the Big Ten. But they will win some games, and we've seen in this Big Ten that whether it be Penn State almost beating Purdue yesterday, there's going to be these games that you just need to escape. Thing is, though, by the end of this game, Illinois didn't merely escape, they actually won by 12, and that's not a margin to sneeze at in the Big Ten. And to do so after trailing by four at half, and to feel like nothing was really going right for you and everything was going right for your opponent, that's very encouraging to me. This team found yet another way to win. Last year, as that team went on a run in late January through mid-March, 
it seemed like they were finding a bunch of different ways to win, and I thought that was kind of like a Swiss Army knife, that it would come in handy in March. Well, you ran into a buzzsaw with Loyola. Again, we don't need to revisit that. But with this team, in the last few weeks, I think we just assumed that if they were going to go on large win streaks or if they were going to reach their max potential, it would be based on making a bunch of threes, having a high-octane offense, and then the defense just being good, right? If not, if not spectacular, at least just good. Well, we saw a new wrinkle on Thursday night, and winning like you did by only shooting, what, 8 for 30 from 3. So that's not very good, 27%, not close to your season average. And then shooting 28 of 38 from 2-point range, right? Your overall field goals, let's see here if they got the field goal percentage. Uh, something like, oh God, trying to think, 52. It looks like about 40%, a little bit under, which is not up to this team's average. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was all about Kofi Coburn. And that's the guy that's going to raise that floor no matter who you play. He, of course, raised the floor. He put in one of his most spectacular performances. But it's other guys that actually made that win possible. Trent Frazier went on that heater early in the second half that really changed the momentum. Before he went on his, you know, 7 nothing run on his own, I think we were all thinking, oh, God, like, are we actually going to be able to get over the hump? There was a three- or four-minute period where Illinois was trailing by one, and then they were back down three. At one point, went back all the way down five points, and we're thinking, God, this is just going to be one of those knockdown, drag-out second halves, and maybe at the end of it, we'll have one more point than they do. Well, no, Trent Frazier gave you that four- or five-point lead, and you never relinquished it. He played 40 minutes to run point and play the defense that Trent Frazier does and still score 16 points is basically heroic. And that's a big word, I know, but he is playing out of his mind and having by far his best season, and that's saying something. DeMonte Williams, 37 minutes, 9 points. 1 for 4 from 3, 2 for 5 from 2, so I know offensively he might leave you wanting, but he has 3 offensive boards, 2 defensive boards, he has a couple of assists, he has no turnovers and two steals. And if you watch some of these replays, he is a part of almost every offensive possession that matters. He has a knack for just keeping that ball moving. And even if he's not going to be the biggest scorer out there, I thought he played maybe his best game of the season. Alfonso Plummer, he guts out 12 points, not his best night offensively. And yet you still win by 12. Jacob Grandison, who has been arguably your third best player or sometimes second, depending on the game, he only scores five points. He has his worst game of the year. You win by 12. Coleman Hawkins, big game for him. 19 minutes, eight points, six offensive rebounds, two defensive rebounds, one turnover, which was sloppy, but he's cleaning his game up. Illinois on the night, seven turnovers. They're starting to play cleaner basketball. But Kofi was the story, right? 28 minutes because of all the time that he didn't play in the first half. He scores 23 he pulls down seven offensive boards, 11 defensive boards. So that's 18 total. And I think, if I recall, it was 23 points and 16 rebounds in the second half. An absolutely monster performance by one of the best Illini basketball players ever. And where he ranks in the all-time Illini basketball player list when all is said and done, I think that'll be dictated by what happens in March. But let's say this team does make a deep run. Let's say they make a Final Four with Kofi. He is on the top three, right? I mean, he's up there with the likes of D. Brown. And Iodasumu, I mean, he, he got his due on Thursday night, as he should. That jersey needs to be up in the rafters even one year after he leaves. And what he's doing with the Bulls right now is spectacular. It's so much fun to watch. But you would have to maybe argue that in terms of production, and then if they have success in March, 
maybe his legacy, Kofi's legacy, I mean, will be just as, if not better, than Io. And that is something else. To be here in the year five of the Brad Underwood era, which coincides with year five of the 200 level, you know, I remember the early 200 levels talking about the last few months of the John Gross era and what a drag that was. And now we've had two all-time Illini basketball players back-to-back. And we have a team that is primed to win a Big Ten title this year. So it is a far cry from where we were. And that's what kind of hit me, I think, after the game ended Thursday night. It was more than just that win. It was the fact that, yeah, while we sweated out a little bit, you're 4-0 in the Big Ten. The last time you could say that would have been back in 2010, I think. And before that would have been back in 2005. So this does not happen very much, even for good Illinois teams. I'm going to really just let that soak in. 4-0 in the Big Ten, in all likelihood 5-0 after Tuesday night. And then if Michigan actually plays the game, and don't worry, we'll get to Michigan. If they actually show up on Friday night, you're going to start 6-0. So this is kind of a new golden age of Illinois basketball. And we're all living through it. And I love it. I mean, I'm wearing the Illinois stuff, the the swag from Fourth and Kirby, the Kofi Coburn stitch jersey I have. I'm wearing it with pride now in a, in a way that I haven't for 15 years. <clears throat> and that's not to say that every single year is going to be as good as this one or the one before it. I mean, this program is going to have to not quite rebuild, but certainly reload if they're going to make NCAA tournaments the next couple of years. They're going to have to adapt to their personnel, which is going to change quite a bit after this season. But the foundation for long-term success is there. And it is difficult to imagine a situation where you go from what you're doing right now to what you were doing when John Gross was here. I think those days are over. And that leads me to someone that is a bit of an unsung hero. And it's crazy to say that for a coach that's in his fifth year, that's having this amount of success. But Brad Underwood is doing a spectacular job. His best job as a coach with uh, Illinois out of his five seasons, I think. If you look at what they did early this season and how bad they were and how disjointed everything was, the injuries, the COVID stuff that ran through it, and then here we are in early January playing this well, undefeated in conference play. This is his best job so far. And I don't think this team's done growing yet. If anything, I think they're only going to get better. And that's a scary thought for the rest of the Big Ten. And then hopefully come March, no matter what matchups you get in the NCAA tournament. But to consider what he inherited and what he has turned this program into, you're 4-0 now, and I want to make sure that I get this right, because last year you won, let's see how many Big Ten games. You won 16-4, and right? 16-4. and You won 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 14 and 1 in your last 15 Big Ten games last year. Okay, I'm including the Big Ten tournament. 14 and 1. You're 18 and 1 in your last 19 Big Ten games. 18 and 1. How many of those are on the road? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. You're 8 and 1 in your last 9 Big Ten road games. Actually, 9 and 1 if you go 10. Let's see, 10, 11. Yeah, okay. 10 and 1 in your last 11 Big Ten road games. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. I think they're going to have a Big Ten title to show for it at the end of this season. Ken Palm would agree. After the way this team's been playing, they've moved Illinois up to 11th in the country, and they have them projected now to finish 15-5 and in conference. Last week, I said that 14-6 and felt right to me, that they were going to stumble. And I think they will stumble. There's going to be some nights where we're doing a second-half podcast and we are furious. I can't believe that we lost to, I don't know, maybe at Maryland, right? Though the way this team plays on the road, I actually think we win by that by like 15. But you pick a game, 
there's going to be a disappointment somewhere along the way. But looking now at Ken Palm, they only project they project five losses just based on some close margins, right? But if you go scratch and you just go down their predicted results, they have Illinois losing at Purdue by four and at Michigan State by one. And the rest of it wins. Now, do I think this team's going to go 18-2 and two in the Big Ten? I don't. No, I think 15-5 and five is maybe more likely. But is that going to be enough to win the Big Ten? I think so. Actually, right now, Purdue is projected to go 13-6 and six in the Big Ten on Ken Palm. 13-6 because that Michigan game came off, so let's say 14-6. Right now, Ken Palm has Illinois projected to finish 15-5 and five in the Big Ten. They have Purdue projected to finish 14-6. and six. Ohio State? By comparison, 13 and 7. Michigan State, by comparison, 13 and 7. So there you go. If we're just going to, if Ken Palm is correct, and it is only a metric, I'm not saying that everything is going to go the way Ken Palm predicts it, but Illinois at 15 and 5 would win the Big Ten. I think that is probably likely, especially because in that 15 and 5, you would be getting wins against your Big Ten competitors, your challengers, right? And to be 4-0 along with Michigan State, you have a leg up. Now, Michigan State does have a nice little schedule coming up here. They got Minnesota at home on Wednesday, Northwestern at home on Saturday. So you can basically pencil them in to go 6-0. I think they would have won at Michigan on Saturday as well. But that's 6-0 going into road games at Wisconsin and at Illinois. Do they win both? Do they win one? I'm not sure. Oh, let's check Wisconsin real quick, right? So annoying. Projected to go 12-8 and eight in the Big Ten. And yes, Johnny Davis right now is the National Player of the Year. I love Kofi, but right now Johnny Davis has had more big games against good opponents. Kofi, when all is said and done, I think will ultimately win National Player of the Year. But it's going to be close because Johnny Davis is just that good. As much as it begrudges me to say that, he is that good. But even tonight, I'm recording this on a Sunday. Okay, at 6.30, about an hour and a half from when I get done with this podcast, Wisconsin plays at Maryland. Who's to say that they're going to win that? I, The Big Ten's been crazy. Crazier things have happened. I could see them coming back down to earth. But Illinois, a front runner to win the Big Ten. That's what I thought before the season, but I will say this. I did not predict that this would be the route to get there. That without Andre Crabello, you would find this new style of offense that would be consistently good for 75-plus points a game, even on your off nights, and that you would get Andre Corbello back, presumably in mid-January, maybe even on Tuesday night at Nebraska, and that you could work him back in and add just another wrinkle to your offense. That is a dangerous place to be for opposing teams, that this Illinois team is already at this level, playing with this consistency. And don't forget, this is an old Illinois team. Old. Kofi, a junior that started every game that he's ever played. Alfonso Plummer, fifth-year senior. Trent Frazier, fifth-year senior. DeMonte, sixth-year senior. Jacob Grandison could come back. I hope he does. That would be great. But, I mean, this is an old starting lineup. And to me, as I look at teams that make runs in the NCAA tournament, that is a common denominator right there. Last year, you did have the youth of an Adam Miller and an Andre Crabello that were getting significant minutes. And this team could still use an Adam Miller. I mean, I'm not going to um, sit here and say, ah, good, rid- good riddance. I-, I really wanted him to be the next guy for Illinois. And especially next year, you're really going to miss a guy like Adam Miller. But what you have right now, it's working. And I don't see any reason to think that it won't continue working. We had one moment in the first half, and it lasted for about seven or eight minutes, where you saw what this team can look like without Kofi. And I hope that Kofi 
learned his lesson from that first half against Maryland. You cannot afford to get two fouls. And, and we even heard from Underwood after the game that if it were other situations, he would bring Kofi back after those two fouls. He would risk it. And I think in big games, if it comes down to it, that's what you will do. But let's be honest, Kofi's not fouling this year. I mean, that was the aberration. Two fouls in the first half. I think that might have been the first time all year that he did it. If there was another time, I forget. And that means when he's on the court, this is a team that's just going to be very difficult to beat, whether that's home or away. And that's usually the thing. We look at Big Ten schedules and we say, well, okay, what teams do you have to play on the road? But when I look at Illinois' schedule, I don't know if it matters. I'm excited for these road games. I think that this team, for whatever reason, plays very loose and relaxed on the road. I have no concerns about Nebraska. I assume that Nebraska will play a little bit better than they did against Rutgers on Saturday, where they lost by 25 points or whatever. I mean, they stink, but they can still score some points. They can't defend. There's no one that's going to hang with Kofi. You could say that for most opponents, by the way. And then you just go down the list. Nebraska, Michigan, Purdue, of course, is going to be a fantastic game. I know Purdue's been struggling, but those two teams match up so well with one another. And I think Illinois gets the win, but I think it's going to be a hell of a barn burner. At Maryland, Michigan State at home, Northwestern on the road, at Wisconsin. And listen, I'm just looking at these games, and this is the beauty of where Illinois is at right now. I'm not scared of any one of them. They will lose some. I know that. But they're going to win more. They're going to win a lot more than they're going to lose, right? We know that as well. And what a spot to be in. You know, so as we sit here and we, we really kind of settle into this season, now sitting at 11-3, and 4-0 in the non-conference, you know, I will happily trade those early losses to Marquette and Cincinnati and even the Arizona game, which is not going to hurt you in any way, shape, or form. I'll happily trade that for a 4-0 start in conference. Um, and if that's a trade that you kind of had to make, and, and normally I don't know if early losses and later success have a whole lot to do with one another. I think a team will figure it out regardless. But this team required such a reset that maybe it did take the Marquette and the Cincinnati losses to jar something loose within them. I mean, take a look at their offensive output here. Since Marquette, where they only scored 67, and Cincinnati, where they scored uh, 51, they have since scored 72, 94, 82, 86, 87, 83, 106, 88, 76, 76. They're averaging in the mid-80s, essentially. And I have no reason to think they won't score that against Nebraska. I mean, they they should score 85 points without really any problem against them. Same with Michigan, whose defense is not great. Purdue, that's going to be a high-scoring game. Purdue's defense isn't great either. So you just kind of go down the list here, and and you like the matchups in most of these Big Ten games, and 15-5, and it's right there for you. And you're building this lead early that I I think you can jump out to a nice 6-0, 7-0 start here and just kind of keep the other teams at bay and have something to say about it because you're playing Purdue twice. You're playing Michigan state twice. You're only playing Ohio state once, but you get them at home. So that's nice for whatever reason. I never feel good going to Ohio state. You know, I just talked a couple minutes ago. Yeah. Give me an away game. I don't care which one it is. I feel good about it, but no, something about at Ohio state. I mean, even last year it took every single freaking bit of your energy to win that game at Michigan, whatever, can we go to can we talk about Michigan now? I mean, I've I've kind of waxed poetic about this Illinois team for the last 15, 20 minutes. As you can tell, I'm excited. I really like where this thing is going. And I don't see any reason to to doubt this team. And and I was saying that about last year's team in early February, mid-February, right? We're a month ahead of schedule, it feels like, in terms of 
the good vibes that we have with the Illinois basketball team. That means essentially a whole month more of pure enjoyment, right? If you think about it, last January, you know, I mentioned the Maryland loss at home and, and then the Ohio State loss at home last January. So there was a good chunk of that month where things still did not feel great. And it was really not until that Iowa win, and I'll go back and check that real quick. I think it was January 29th. Yeah, Friday, January 29th, you beat Iowa by five points at home. Then it started to feel, okay, then it started to feel good again. You follow that up with the uh, OT win. <laughs> the OT win at Indiana that was just one of the, the stupidest games ever played. But um, yeah, so here you are 20 days before January 29th. It was January 29th of 2021 when you finally started feeling, yeah, okay, here we go. And I'm already feeling that right now. And I actually think that um, as you get in the Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament, it all comes down to matchups. So I'm not going to make any predictions based on that. But damn, this is a dangerous team. And if they can develop more consistently defensively, um, then I, I think that there's nothing keeping this team from the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And then you just kind of see where the chips fall. You know, get to that second weekend, and then it's a two-game playoff to make the Final Four. And what the hell? You know, why not? I, I think that what Underwood has done is put this program in a position where they'll be making NCAA tournaments for the foreseeable future, even next year. And I don't know what next year's team is going to look like. There's a lot that's going to have to be figured out. But can you really doubt his ability? Think about where we were in late March, early April of this year after the disappointing Loyola loss and then thinking, oh my God, who's going to be left on next year's team? Well, they figured it out. And I know that the extra year for guys like Trent and DeMonte, that changed the equation a bit. And thank God those guys came back. I mean, DeMonte starting to score a little bit for you. He's been great. And Trent has just been Big Ten honorable mention, third team. I, I, he should probably get even more accolades than that. But he is just playing off the charts. He's doing everything for you. So, yeah, as you can tell, Carp is pretty high on it. I'm using the third person, for God's sakes. That's how high I am on this Illinois team. I'm feeling good. And I'm excited for Tuesday night at Nebraska in what should be a fairly easy game. I mean, come on. I know it's the Big Ten and things happen, but Nebraska can't stop a nosebleed and you can score and I don't see Nebraska keeping up with you. So just go in there and kick their ass. If anything, I like that the Maryland game and that first half of the Maryland game reminded you what can happen when things are not going well. Because this team has had it easy for the last month, apart from Arizona. For the last month, it's been pretty easy for them. So that Maryland game was a good reminder that in the Big Ten, nothing can be taken for granted. So go into Nebraska with that mindset, and I'm not worried about it. The Michigan game. Will there be a Michigan game? I mean, it's... <laughs> I, on Friday night, was really trying to put money down on Michigan State to win. I was going to put money on the money line. I just figured Michigan's not playing well. I know it was the maze out, which, by the way, the Michigan basketball Twitter account, they must have a child working in the graphic design department because I've seen better works of art on PC paintbrush back in the day. It, just pathetic work from their graphic design department, which shouldn't piss me off as much as it does, but it's Michigan, and they are infuriating as a basketball program. I mean, to the point where I actually like Jim Harbaugh by comparison. So go figure. But they were going to have a big old maze out on 130, I think was the tip on Saturday, and I couldn't find the game on FanDuel. So I go to bed on Friday, and then Saturday morning having breakfast, and whoop, News comes across the wire that Michigan, they have COVID running through the program. Of course they do. Now, 
let's get one thing straight so I'm not taken out of context. I am sure that Michigan has COVID in their program because everywhere there is COVID. It is running rampant. You probably know four or five people that have it. I do, certainly between teachers and kids that are out of school and then my own family. This thing is everywhere. So it can happen to anybody at any time. It happened in Illinois, and I think at the best possible time too, right? So Michigan comes down with this. However, as reasonable as it is to assume that they are, in fact, dealing with a lot of COVID cases, it really brings back shades of last year, doesn't it? And I don't want to be that guy, but I'm afraid I must. Michigan is probably not ducking these opponents, but it is still annoying as all hell that because they get COVID now, we miss a great game, I thought, would have been a great game, Michigan State and Michigan on Saturday. A desperate Michigan team, I thought it would have been one of the better Big Ten games of the early season. And then on Tuesday night, we don't get to see Michigan go to Purdue and presumably get crushed. Because Purdue got a couple wake-up calls this week between Wisconsin losing at home and then a close call at Penn State. They would have come out guns blazing and smoked Michigan. And then we have Friday night. Will there be a game Friday night at the State Farm Center? One that we've all been circling for a long time. Illinois will be fine because if there are any COVID cases on the team, it's not going to be enough for Illinois to not play the game. Who hasn't gotten it? I mean, 10 players apparently did. So that's kind of the question. Which guys don't have that super immunity right now? And I'm hoping it's no one that's too important to what you have to do because chances are that they'll probably get it at some point, the ones that haven't. I hope there's a game Friday night. I mean, I'm, I've am i been extra careful last week, uh, you know, wearing like my KN95 mask if I go to Costco or something because I want to be healthy for the Michigan and Purdue swing. I mean, this is something we've all circled. Don't get sick now. Fingers crossed, right? Knock on wood, whatever you want to use. But just leave it to freaking Michigan to just suck the fun out of everything. When their upcoming schedule was Michigan State, Purdue, and Illinois. Hmm. What timing? Again, I'm not saying there was a conspiracy. I'm just saying it brings back shades of last year when they ducked three Big Ten games and they win the Big Ten title. And the funny thing about that, and the thing I still do not understand, and yes, I'm dredging up old wounds here. What I don't understand is the way that Michigan fans sort of puffed their chest out and they poked fun at Illinois at any opportunity when we went in there and kicked their ass by 30 points without our best player. So this sort of bluster that they operated with, it's like, where the hell do you get off? When I was running in Ann Arbor, and I told this on last week's podcast, I saw the grand entrance of Chrysler Arena, and they have on loop on this big video screen them hoisting the Big Ten championship trophy and raising the banner, and I'm thinking, you guys don't deserve that. Or at at least it should have been a co-championship. And, of course, the Big Ten office was unable to acquiesce to that, and I frankly don't care if Josh Whitman signed off on that. Circumstances change. Last year, with the way the COVID was impacting things, circumstances changed enough to warrant Illinois being awarded co-champions. So, yes, am I still sore about it? 100%. Here's what I hope happens. I hope Michigan is forced to play Friday. You only need seven scholarship players. The new CDC guidelines now say five days from when you test positive. And then if you are asymptomatic or your symptoms resolve, you're good to go. So with that in mind, Michigan should be coming in here after a long break with maybe one day practice and let's just kick their ass by 30 freaking points. I mean, not not even the kind of game that we thought it was going to be. 
on Friday, January 14th. We all thought that was going to be the marquee matchup, just a, a total classic at the State Farm Center. I don't need a classic. I want to pummel these guys. I want Brandon Lieb to get a dunk against their backup center with four minutes to go. And then we can rest all of our guys for the game that really matters on Martin Luther King Day. Now, here's what may happen. And I don't know if this is possible or not, but as I was looking at the schedules, Illinois and Purdue could potentially move their game to Tuesday because they both don't have a game until the following Thursday or Friday. So they could each move that game one day later if Illinois had to move their Michigan game to Saturday. Now, what's the difference that 12 hours makes? I'm not really sure. Um, It's one more day on the calendar, but not that many more hours. I don't know if that's feasible or not, but they will probably get this game in. And I, I, I hope so. I mean, come on. I've been circling this forever. I can't wait for it. But if, if you're telling me the Friday night, it just doesn't happen. And then we're just going to have to sit and wait for the rescheduling. I, I don't know. That, that would suck. So come on. Make it happen, Big Ten office. Because this is something that really should not take more than five days to resolve for Michigan. If we've seen the way that other programs have dealt with this COVID thing, it seems to come and go fairly quickly for these young athletes that were vaccinated. And I think Michigan, I know their football team did, but I think boosted as well. So they will be fine and they should be good to go for a game on Friday night. And I cannot wait. So ultimately, this may work out fine for Illinois. I I think that no matter the circumstances, you are going to beat Michigan the way that they're playing and the way that you're playing. But if you tell me that you get them after a nice warm-up in Lincoln, Nebraska, and then Michigan hasn't played for 10, 11 days or whatever. I really like those odds. So let's bring it. Let's have some fun. One more thing to talk about before we log off for the day. Illinois football. They get their new offensive coordinator. And this was not any big surprise. Jeremy Warner actually had the scoop about Peterson getting fired and had the scoop about who the next guy would be. That is Barry Lunny Jr. from UTSA. So we know them well from the second game of the year. That was a good UTSA offense, number 11 scoring offense in the country last year. And it's not like he's going to reinvent the wheel. It is a run-first offense. But there are at least some other wrinkles where you feel like he might be able to maximize what you have better than what Tony Peterson did. I'm going to read some of this from the 24-7 article. Um, and just kind of about Lunny's history. Uh, in his first season as the offensive coordinator at UTSA, he helped the Roadrunners improve from 19 points a game in 2019. And I think, did Illinois score 19 points a game? Maybe 20 most last year. He improved into 28.6 points per game in 2020. And then another step forward up to 36.9 points per game in 2021. So over the course of two seasons, they improved by basically 17, 18 points per game. 25th in the country in pass efficiency. And here's the thing about pass efficiency. You don't need to throw 300 yards to have a good rating for that. It really comes down to, well... How efficient are you? And we know that this Illinois team, passing-wise, was terribly inefficient. If you could somehow just have a serviceable passing attack, that makes everything so much easier for Chase Brown and Josh McCray. And you got to think that you will piece together an offensive line that can at least give Chase and Josh McCray the, the running lanes that they need. So it really comes down to, for Barry Lunny, as I look at it, can he get any semblance of a passing attack going here? Will it be the DeVito kid from Syracuse? Or will he maybe seek other opportunities? Maybe he was a Tony Peterson guy. I'm not really sure. Uh, Here's some more from the 24-7 article. Lunny and the Roadrunners, of course, put up 37 points in an upset one in Illinois in early September. Zachary Franklin had a career-high 155 receiving yards against Illinois. I remember that. Under Lunny, UTSA has run a spread option attack that is run heavy and plays with tempo. 
In two years under Lonnie, running back Sincere McCormick rushed for 2,946 yards and 26 touchdowns. Quarterback Frank Harrison, two years under Lonnie, passed for 4,800 yards, 39 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, while rushing for another 1,000. Now, here's the other factor, and this is what the 24-7 article gets into. As for recruiting, Lunny is very tied into Arkansas high schools and helped the Razorbacks sign several top 24-7 and four-star prospects. Now, if I click on that and it looks at his all-time recruits, there is a five-star in there. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen four-stars. I mean, good Lord. This guy can recruit. And that was something I didn't really factor in when the name came out on Tuesday. I just thought, okay, there's the relationship that he has with Bielema, so it makes a lot of sense. The success that Arkansas offense has had, especially compared to what Illinois did last year. Okay, so before his time with the Razorbacks, this is back from the twenty, uh, back to the 24-7 article, Lunny was an offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Bentonville, Arkansas High School, helping the Tigers to 78 wins in eight seasons. So maybe he's like the coach from Friday Night Lights, right, making that jump to the college level. Um, Lunny served on coaching staffs at Arkansas, Tulsa, and San Jose State. And this is what Bielema said of Lunny prior to Illinois' loss to UTSA. And I, I was listening to Jeremy on a podcast last week, and he said that that really stuck out to him when Bielema said this. Quote, Barry is an, a, a very accomplished coach, an impre- incredible person, father. He's got two incredible young men, two boys who are just awesome people. When I hired him, he was the offensive coordinator at Fayetteville High School. And when I was taking over, his dad was a legendary coach, represents everything that's great about our profession. I interviewed Barry, quickly realized he was someone I wanted to have in my program. I had only a tight end position open. He worked with the tight ends. He always had his eye on that quarterback position, a guy that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. When I was relieved of my opportunity there at Arkansas, he was a guy that held over with that last staff and got put in an interim role when they made that transition again. Every time he's been anywhere, he's just continued to make a positive impression on not only the players, but the community he's involved in. He's a very, very accomplished person, end quote. Jeremy said on a podcast last week, he was surprised that Lunny wasn't the guy in the first place. And that if you looked at the resumes, you could have argued that Lunny had the better resume, plus he was younger, plus a better recruiter than Tony Peterson. You're making this move after one year. So what is an acknowledgement that Tony Peterson, that was a failed hire? And to me, that's a yellow flag, right? Or at least an area of concern when you see a head coach not get the initial coordinating hire correct. I don't know if Bielma thought he was going safe or what, but let's focus on what's coming next. The fact that they made that move in the first place tells me a couple things. One, Bielema is willing to accept that failure and he wants to win now. So no wait and see approach. It's we're going to go out there and win. I love that. I also got to give Josh Whitman credit for saying, fine, okay, we'll buy out the rest of Tony Peterson's three-year contract, which I assume is another $750,000 a year for this season and next season. So I would think that we're giving up 1.5 mil to get rid of Tony Peterson and paying money, I think around 800,000 bucks a year for another three-year contract. So kudos to Whitman, and I know we can have a whole other argument about, oh, there's too much money in college sports. Hey, it ain't my money. And um, at the end of the day, this tells me that Josh Whitman is going to do whatever it takes to give Bielema what he needs. After one year at 5-7, and seven, with as bad as your offense was, I really don't think 6-6 six and six is that far off, even with the guys that you're losing next year. The transfer portal allows you to put some Band-Aids on on those gaping wounds. You have some key pieces coming back anyway. I think that with the continuity and the rest of the staff and hopefully a little bit of an injection on offense from this new coordinator, that you can find your way to six wins. 
And the way that that non-conference is setting up, where you're starting to see Wyoming and Virginia lose a few guys, cru- crucial guys, to the transfer portal, you should be looking at a 3-0 and start. I think you should, at least. And then that means what? you got to be 3-6 and in the Big Ten to get your 6-6 six and six record? I think you can do that. I think you can do that in this Big Ten West, even with the Big Ten East crossovers, including Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State. Not easy, right? And I wouldn't pretend that it is. But I got to think that this team can find their way to six wins next year, and I don't think you were probably going to do that with the Tony Peterson offense. So that alone has me more excited for 2022, uh, coupled with the fact that this team and this program just feel like they're in a much more stable place at the end of the 2021 season than they were at the beginning. All right, that's all I got for today. We're going to be back Tuesday night for Illinois-Nebraska, a little bit later tip-off, 7.30. So we'll start about 8.30. We'll be on the Twitch stream. I will be talking, I assume, with Trevor and Isaac via Zoom, you know, until this Omicron thing dies down a bit. And, hey, I, I like I said, I'm just trying to stay healthy for the Michigan and Purdue games. I really, really want to get to those. And for that matter, I look at the rest of the schedule, the Michigan States and the Ohio States and – I want to make all of those too. Wisconsin, Johnny Davis coming to town like that. That'll be exciting. So I'm just trying to do what I can to stay healthy so that I can go to the State Farm Center the rest of the year. That is the goal. I hope that you guys stay healthy as well, even though it's not easy to do that right now. This thing is everywhere, but uh, just do your best. And hopefully we'll be out of this in a couple, two, three weeks. Before we get out of here, DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so stay inside, stay warm, and let them bring a piping hot calzone to your doorstep. That is dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Vintage-inspired Illini apparel, including a brand-new white hoodie with a vintage logo from the 83-84 Big Ten Basketball Champions. That's 4thandkirby.com. Right there, construction online at rectorconstruction.com. For all your home exterior needs, get a free estimate today at rectorconstruction.com. And finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, any kind of insurance, Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy at brianismyguy.com. For the Champagne Showers Podcast Network and Alani Inquirer, partners with the 200 level, thank you all for tuning in. Hope you have a good early start to your week. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you Tuesday night for another live podcast. It is the 200 level. Mm-hmm.